He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. Hi guys, it's Laura Giles here, host of Let It Go Now, and today I have a treat for you. I'm joined by Marlon Crook, and he's going to share his story of how he let it go and got out of his way to become a Brigadier General. Welcome, Brigadier General Crook. Hey, Laura. Thanks for the invite. Oh, sure. Thank you for being here. So just so our listening audience knows, Marlon and I lived on the same street when we were kids, and we used to play curveball and ride bikes until the streetlights came on. So we go way back. Uh, Marlon, <laughs> what are some of the things that happened in your childhood to prepare you for where you are now? I mean, I'm sure you didn't just wake up one day and say, I want to be a Brigadier General. <laughs> it, it wasn't in the calculus at all. I wanted to be like what every other kid in Southfield wanted to be in the NBA or the, or the NFL and what prepared me for that, what got me off of that path, quite honestly, it's funny when people talk to me now, all they know me as is, as General Crook in the Air Force, and they think you're just born on this path. I was right. just like any other kid in Southfield, and I try to explain, Southfield was a, it was a paradise to us. Growing up, we didn't I know, agree. right? You go back now, and I tell people I was bordered, by a railroad track, we didn't have any underpass or overpass, so you could be late for school, late for an interview if a train was coming, and that was to the north, to the west. We had, what, the, the, a landfill, a prison, a pork rendering plant, and then to the south we had Georgia Pacific, which had all those uh, explosions and people were complaining about cancerous symptoms and stuff like that. But in that little thing, we had a real community. But you didn't know when you looked. If you went down our street as a kid, you could name dad in the house, no dad, no dad, no dad, no dad. Dad in the house, no dad, no dad, no dad. Dad in the house, no dad, no dad, no dad. You looked at it, and you didn't realize it was like first-time home buyers. There was a lot of Section 8 homes. And you didn't know which was which, and I thought everybody was rich. Everybody had a house. Everyone had a backyard. And I actually thought we were one of the poorest people on the street because one of my good friends on the street, if they busted a window, if they broke their screen door, that little orange van came out there that day or the next day and fixed it. And when my screen door got busted, it could be a month or two before we got it fixed. It wasn't until later in life I knew that that was CMH, Columbus Metropolitan Housing, fixing up that Section 8 house. And my mom had to work and wait till a paycheck or two came to fix it. So I think what's different now, between now and then, we were a community. 
I came over you guys' house, spent the night, y'all come over our house, you can eat. Everyone looked after each other. Southfield was truly a village, and now folks come and go. So I think I was raised by the village. What prepared me? I got those life lessons from that village. If you can remember our summers, you know, it's expensive now, right, for summer, for, for summer care for your kids. You think about that. We didn't have money in the summer, and we went up to Marion Franklin Recreation Center when we woke up, and you had adult supervision, arts, crafts, sports, leadership. At noon, you got a free lunch, and then you had to wait that hour. At 1 o'clock, the pool opened, and you could swim and play until uh, 5, and that cost you a dime that whole day. I miss all of that. I miss I miss the role models, negative and positive, but folks think it was some big leap between me going to the, the military, me going to Notre Dame. It wasn't. I still had all the hopes and dreams of every hood kid, and I had a kid at the age of 16, and it was some of my mentors that said, what are you going to do with your life? You're a father now. And I, I had academic scholarships and I had athletic scholarships, and I ended up taking an academic scholarship to Notre Dame and joined the Army, actually. I'm a general in the Air Force, but I had a lot of years in the Army, enlisted, an officer, and uh, switched over. But I always credit people. When I got promoted last year, I credited my AAU coach for being a mentor, for being a role model, for teaching me about uh, sports and and leadership, fair competition, honesty, integrity. I learned all of that from the streets. I learned all that from my, my little league football coaches and my AAU coaches. And that's what really prepared me for where I'm at today. My old pastor back home used to say, don't let your talent take you where your character can't sustain you. So mm. I've never forgot that. I've never forgot where I came from. And I remember, I was just teasing your sister, Lisa, that uh, I remember everything, even Haji the dog, like it was yesterday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nothing, nothing changed, just my title. <laughs> so I know that the military is supposed to be colorblind, um, and the Marines come only in one color. That's green, light green and dark green. Was <laughs> being melanated an obstacle? Oh, oh, my God. So, yeah, we haven't even got to the let go part, which helped me get out of it. We'll talk about the, the, the let go part, but I'll answer this question specifically. With color, it, it's definitely an obstacle. Even coming out of Notre Dame Army ROTC program, I was the first, well, yeah, between I came out in 93, and I think the person that came out be, before me was like 75 or something like that. African-American male. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it was kind of like being the only one the whole time in the Razi Battalion, only male in the Razi Battalion. And, and until this day, uh, I'll make it brief, but till it, this day, people see your face and they don't see your rank. So you can have junior white officers walk by and they automatically assume you're enlisted and they're waiting. They should render a salute before I return a salute, but they're looking at me funny, waiting for me to render the mm -hmm. salute. That means first. 
Mm-hmm. And at the last minute, they go, oh, sorry, sir. So I said, oh, things are going to change when I'm a captain because it will be two bars, one beside the next, and they'll see it. Nothing changes the captain. Well, well it will definitely change when, when I become a major because then there's going to be a gold oak leaf cluster, and then they'll see it. And you keep saying that. It didn't happen when I was lieutenant colonel when it was dark and then. Then I said, surely when I become a full colonel, that is a big eagle that I'll have on my hat, I'll have on my shoulders. When you're walking up, I will get, you know, the proper customs courtesy that everyone else gets. And, no, it, it, it still doesn't happen because people still have their implicit biases. biases. And it just mm-hmm. recently happened on my way back home to Ohio. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the keynote. I'm coming to a ceremony. I'm a general now. And I'm like, certainly, you know, you know, I got this big old star on my hat and on my jacket. You know, it won't happen now. And and I go into a base. I hand the guy my ID, and he's real casual about it. I said, hey, I'm looking for the, the, the headquarters. Looks like there's some construction up. And he says, oh, yeah, chief, uh, you just take a left and a right. You arrive kind of late, so you probably have some trouble getting some parking. I says, no. I think they got a spot for me up front. And then he looks again at my ID. Oh, sorry, sir. Um, they sent me up here to escort you. Just follow me. I'm, I'll be over there in that cop car with, with the lights and sirens going. And the, the guard behind him says, you had one job, Bob. Go to the front <laughs> gate and wait on General Crook. Mm. So as you can see, he, had, he grabbed my ID. He looked at my face. He didn't look at the last name because he was obviously expecting a general to show up that didn't look like me. And right. he treated me like a regular guy. Like, when he used the word chief, that wasn't the rank. It's kind of like saying, hey, buddy, go here, go here. And mm-hmm. after I said, hey, they're, they're waiting, on, waiting on me up front, he looked at my ID again. Oh, sorry, sir, hands it back. I can give you countless stories of that, of, of times like that, where, you know, if I get off the plane somewhere and I'm the ranking officer, and we're in civilian clothes, we're carrying our uniforms, they, they'll stop and salute the de- my deputy, <laughs> you know, with uh, sans melanin, and, and then my deputy has to say, oh, no, this is, this is colonel, or, or, or this is the general. Um, mm. I smile because I know I'm only facing what others have met before me, and I know they had it a lot worse than I had it. So I am not in any way complaining. I'm just explaining it still happens. It's implicit bias. And what I, what I try to do with that is turn it into a teaching moment. I'll give you one little snippet of how that happened one day. I was a colonel. I'm in line at the help desk in line with a lot of people. And, and I, I, I come up the hallway, and I had my lunch in my hand. And there's a guy who's like three ranks junior than me sitting behind me, and he's trying to make small talk, and he says, uh, what you got in the bag? And I said, oh, you know, let's just say I said burger and fries. And everybody's laughing and joking like, yeah, this line is kind of long. You might have to share. And then this one officer says, junior officer says to me, yeah, this might be the one time I might have to pull rank today. And I turned around and looked at him, and I said, and what exactly were you planning to do, Major, with, with pulling rank? Oh, sorry, sir. He assumed he outranked me, right? Mm-hmm. So 
that could have been the teaching lesson, teaching moment in and of itself if he outranked me, that he, that he didn't outrank me. But mm-hmm. I dressed him down for that. But I wanted to go a little further just for a leadership moment of any hue, right? I, I don't care if we were, we were from the same uh, nationality. Even if you outrank the man, that doesn't make it good for you as a leader to demean a man, even in a joking right. way, that you're going to take this lunch because you out you outrank him. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, if if I walked around with a chip on my shoulder like the angry black man, there'll be a lot of times we would miss a teachable moment. I want them to feel uncomfortable because I want them to walk away and spread the gospel, right? The gospel of truth and doing what's right, and I want them to change that implicit bias that always make you think you're superior and you outrank folks. You know, there's, so, in the military, we have a thing with customs and courtesies, and you need to have your head on a swivel. If you, even if you're the ranking person in the room, you need to be ready to return a salute and give people the, the greeting of the day. Well, as I'm listening to you, you sound like it's just really chill, and I'm upset for you. <laughs> and to, <laughs> if this were my situation, I think that would be something I would have to let go. So was it something that you had to – I mean, it sounds like you're cool now, but was that something so, that you had to you had to get there? So what I will tell you, I, I'll tell you how it culminates to the point where I'm at right now. The, the, the first thing I had to let go to get where I was at, let's take it all the way back to South, but I'll do it in three phases. The things I had to let go to get out, out of Southfield, once I, once I got out of Southfield and went to Notre Dame, got out of Notre Dame, came back home, what I had to let go, and then lastly, the things that I have to let go now. So quickly, the, the three things, that what I had to do to get out of Southfield was let go of – the crabs in the barrel, let go of, of, of a, a stigma of a weight that we put around ourselves. When I, when I was at Coble Elementary right down the road, you got chastised for getting good grades. You know, if I, if I said school and pool and pronounced the L instead of school and pool, if I got A's, oh, you trying to be a white boy. As if, you know, saying the King's English, getting good grades, I literally remember telling the teacher to start past mixing up the test because they would pass it out good grades to bad grades. And mm. there was a dude who just got out of juvie named Majestus. He'll never listen to this podcast. Who knows if he's still around. <laughs> but was like, I'm going to kick your bleep bleep after this. He was just mad because he would get his test last and I would get my test first. Mm. And I would mm-hmm. get ostracized because I got good grades. So it took – uh, uh, one of the few black uh, teachers in the hall took, grabbed me out in the hallway and said, you're different. You out here cutting the fool so you can act cool in this, with your, your, your clown, clown friends in the classroom, but they all get bad grades. You get good grades. You're not even trying. You haven't even tapped your potential. And I looked at her. I had to be in like fourth or fifth grade. And I'm saying that more eloquently than I, than I am now, but in that put it in fourth grade vernacular, I said, well, you got to help me or I'm going to be getting beat up every day. You know, mm-hmm. um, move me to the front of the classroom. And so I can't see anybody else behind me. And, you know, I'll pay attention in school. You got to mix those, uh, those uh, tests when you pass them out. Mix them back up or I'm going to be getting beat up every day after school. So she mm-hmm. moved me to the front, and, and that was the switch. 
I had to shake that stigma, which didn't leave after, even after I left Cobalt, went to middle school, because I went to Worley High School instead of Marion Franklin. I had to walk through past the public school to get to the bus stop in my green little polyester pants and my white shirt and a Catholic school outfit, and I had to hear all the snickers and jingles. Oh, white boy, you go to that white school and made you feel bad for trying to better yourself. So mm-hmm. I had to let go of all those bad feelings, all of that guilt. Then I go to, I go to Notre Dame on an academic scholarship, and I, I remember this story like yesterday. I come home. I tell them, I, I go to the barbershop, Jim's Barbershop on Thurman, and we had won the state, you know, we did all these things, and they're like, what school are you going to, young man? All the OGs in the barbershop. And uh, I was like, hey, I chose to go to uh, Notre Dame. I got a scholarship, blah, blah, blah. You playing ball? You playing football, basketball? No, I'm on an academic scholarship. And uh, there was reasons I did that because athletic scholarships are four one-year renewable scholarships, right? You get you you get sideways with the coach. Back then, I had some dudes from the hood, you know, looked at a, a white cheerleader wrong, had some problems on a white campus, you know, didn't get their scholarship renewed. They were home. I had mentioned I just had a kid in uh, my junior year. I was 16 years old. Although I was a president of student council in the National Honor Society, lettered in football, basketball, track, I was still a young black male with a kid at 16. I wanted to maximize my chances. You get an academic scholarship, they can't take it away. Back to the barbershop. I got ostracized in the barbershop. Oh, you know, in, uh, I don't know, it's PG-13 uh, <laughs> podcast, but that ain't what they called me. You know, <laughs> uh, you just going to school? What kind of is that? You know, the, to make it like it was bad because I wasn't playing mm-hmm. ball. If you wasn't playing ball, they didn't see you as, relevant and I, I literally they made me feel bad for just being a student at that school and I left that barbershop and I only went early in the morning when the OGs wasn't there anytime I was in town so then I get to college fast forward get through college I had to fight through a lot of stereotypes there because back then Notre Dame was notorious for a lot of things and it was it was it was nothing like going to a University of Alabama racism it was more of an elitist racism when we got there of not seeing us but I go, I go, graduate, matriculate, get out, go through that, come home. Now you have to fight kind of a survivor's remorse. A lot of my friends, oh, man, you know, it's tough back home. You went away to school. You know, a lot of us ain't go to school. We've been doing this. We've been doing that. And it, it, it was my wife. It was some mentors who said, hey, and they went, you know, we're not naming names. All these people where they might have made wrong turns, may they had choices, went to school, dropped out, whatever. I had to let go of that guilt that no one gave me anything. I joined mm-hmm. the military. I was, I was, you know, simultaneous membership while I was a cadet in Army ROTC. I was drilling. I made those choices because I was a dad, and I wanted to be an active dad in my kid's life, and I wanted to be more active than my dad was in my life. So I sacrificed some things. I went away. I deployed. I joined the military. I went away to college. I spent a lot of nights in the law library by myself, crying, struggling, where nobody was around. I wasn't back on the block hanging out, drinking, doing these things. So I had to let that go. Fast forward to now with all the, you know, the cancel culture, you say one wrong thing, you do this, you do that, everybody's ready to crucify you. 
anytime you you're in a position like this, especially a general officer, you're in a fishbowl. You know, your whole life mm-hmm. is under a microscope. And like I said, I remember those old sayings: "Don't let your talent take you where your character can't sustain you." You have to make some choices, and there are some things you have to let go. You have to let go of some friends that could put you in some bad situations. You have to let go of people that are, aren't positive forces in your life. You have to let go of negativity, anything that will, will hold you down, because you can't believe the press. You can't believe your haters. And one of my mentors in general said, Crook, I bet everybody uh, used to like you where you're from, but welcome to D.C. You want to make everybody happy? Sell ice cream. You know, everybody's not going to be for you, and it's just going to be an, an agenda thing. They're going to be on the other side of the table. So I'm not saying I'm great at it, Laura, but I have to remind myself, you are enough. You deserve to be here. If not you, then who? And you had a bad day yesterday. Today is going to be a good day. Yeah, that dude didn't salute you. Somebody called you this. You messed this up. Today's a new day. So, yeah, I, I, I let go uh, daily. I let go of all the weight, <laughs> all the past hurts and stuff like that. I let it go. It tries to come back and jump on my back, so I don't, I'm not saying I got it conquered yet, but right. I, I, I practice it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Brigadier General Crook, for sharing your story and your time with us, and thanks to our listeners for being here. If you enjoy the show, you can return to love by subscribing or reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening. I'm Laura Giles. And Marlon, see you in Ohio next month and see everybody else next week. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.